Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Being a business owner with no experience is hard enough. A divorce, market crash, and embezzlement by an employee is tough to recover from, but Jackie does not give up. Without lingering on her misfortune, Jackie creates a unified atmosphere and puts her trust in her team to help her grow her company. She candidly shares her ups and downs from an owner perspective and has successfully navigated her company to profitability. Of course, she wants more. Listen in for some encouragement if you're going through some challenges. We have a wonderful guest today, Jackie Smith. She's the founder and the owner of Coventry Creations. And thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Jill. I love, I love chatting with you. I love our breakfast. Oh, it's wonderful. The reason I invited you is you're a very open person and you you've had your ups and downs with businesses like most businesses. I think people think, oh, you're a success overnight. And they don't realize, no, we've probably been working at it for 10 or 15 or 20 years. And right. now we're finally a success. And I think that's the typical story of a business is it's not instant. It takes a lot of background and hard work. It's very nice of you to share kind of some stories about how this goes. And again, the reason I have people on my show is I want to show everybody that we all go through things. There's never a smooth ride. and We can get through this, right? Absolutely. I I call myself a 30-year success, you know, 30-year overnight success. Um, I've been doing, I've had Coventry for going on 32 years now. And I like to say that I was five when I started, <laughs> but I wasn't. I was 24. That's still young. It's still young. Mm-hmm. What made you start your business? Because I don't know, are your, were your parents business owners? No, um, my father was an architect, so it was very professional. They really wanted people to be our, their kids. I'm one of nine kids, so I'm number eight of nine. Sweet. I wanted to go to college, and I didn't have a path forward to afford going to college. And you know, thirty some years ago, there wasn't all the lending, easy lending there is now, which is kind of okay because, you know, I get sad when people come out of college with debt that they can't, they feel underwater with, Mm -hmm. they'll be paying it for the rest of their lives. But I was trying to get money to go to college. And at that time I was an office manager in a small, tiny little software firm that was inside of an engineering firm. And I wanted more for my life. So I started, I was working there and I was sewing, I was doing some, um, a Ren Faire costumes for people. Uh, I was doing readings. I was cleaning houses. And one of the things I started doing is I started uh, one Christmas, I started making candles. I, I had tons of financial struggle at 24, which is normal. Yeah. And I had people in my life who were really supporting me, really helping me finding opportunities for me to make extra cash to pay my bills. And so I found some wax and some stuff and some supplies. And I started making candles as holiday gifts. And I just did what I do. I I love the spiritual. I love the esoteric. I love the folklore of herbs and oils. All of this stuff has always been my bailiwick. So I just put them together. I made 19 different candles, styles of candles for the different people I I, were in my life. Wow. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. You know, if one's good, then 20 is better. That's kind of how my brain works, which gets me in trouble. But I gave them all as gifts and I had a few left over and people were knocking on my door to buy more. They loved them. Wow. Nobody had ever done anything like this. Because I put the purpose of the oils and the herbs and the color, I wrote a blessing for each one and folks loved it. And what's interesting, I, I love talking about this. So I made them in December. By January 2nd, I had people asking for more, but I didn't make my next batch until July. That's interesting. How come? I just, I didn't believe. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that anybody would want these. So you could get candles at Kmart, you know, when there was Kmart at the time. And you get candles, all these places for super cheap. You get the candles, the big ones in the glass. And you could get all over the place. You can get candles. They weren't as popular then as they are now. But why would anybody want this, what I considered expensive thing that I was making? People could make it themselves. It's not that hard. It's not easy, but it's also not that hard. But I just kept doing it. And 
I would take my box of candles to stores and I would say, um, Hey, I made these candles. <laughs> and they would say, Oh, those are great. How much? And then I would panic and I would say, um, $2. <laughs> she had no idea. I had no idea. And I had um, a friend of mine's husband is an accountant. So he showed me how to do some basic costing and some basic book work. Yes. It really was um, me asking for help from different professionals and them giving me a couple hours of their time. And then I took it and I ran with it. And 32 years ago, there was no such thing as the internet. You're right. There were the bulletin board systems, but you had to be a real true IT geek to understand them. And I just would go to used bookstores to find old books, go to libraries. Um, there wasn't really anything on this. So I just kept figuring it out and doing it horribly. <laughs> we all did. We all started out when I think yeah. that I was not very efficient. I also started in business at 24. Didn't join any chambers or associations. I mean, you know, I just would get referrals and then work on those, but I cold called. And when I think about it, if I would have joined some chambers and got my name out there, I would have been a lot more efficient. But you just, honestly, you don't know better, right? You don't. But once I started this as a, a legitimate business, and I was on unemployment at the time too. Okay. So I eventually worked myself out of a job from the office manager because I got it real organized and they didn't need me anymore. So during my unemployment, I just started this business. And then once I realized I could pay myself what unemployment could give me, I stopped collecting unemployment. And it's funny, somebody tried to turn me in um, to the unemployment office. So I had you know six months of forms I had to fill out. And the determination was, wow, you did what unemployment is there for. Right. It's exactly what it's for is to help people get on their feet, whether to find another job and what you did is decided to start another business. That's the whole point of getting assistance is to get back on your feet, which you did. And I did the same thing you did. I just cold called. One of the things I did is I went to Seattle. My husband at the time is a machinist and Seattle, this is 92 and Seattle was still hiring people. It was like the only, every there was like double digit unemployment in, yes. in, in 92. We're in a big recession and there was one place that was still hiring, which was Seattle. And I got yellow pages <laughs> and we found some places for him to call and see if they're hiring because he has a lot of experience as a machinist. And he set up like five different interviews for when we were there, which was great. I mean, that was amazing. And uh, we borrowed money to go to Seattle and I took some of that money and made candles. Right. So while he was going on his interview, I was going to go and sell candles because I was having retail experience and office management experience. I figured I could get a job anywhere. And when we landed, the headlines read that Boeing had just laid off 30,000 people Boom. that day, the day we landed there. Of course. And so all of his interviews were canceled. But I had a couple of boxes of candles, a couple hundred candles with me. And we went around and we sold them. I sold 90% of them. Wow. 75% of them. Yeah. The stores or the people? To stores. I've always gone to stores because I wanted to sell bigger batches. Yes. Um, selling one at a time. I have no patience. Waste of time. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no patience. You know, I love the individual user's experiences. I love talking to the end user. And I knew that if I was trying to sell them one at a time in that environment, because there was no internet, it would have been really hard. I would have to go show to show to show. And I knew that selling them to stores was the better way. I just had to find the stores. I get that. So when I got home from Seattle, there was three messages on my answering machine because I had written my phone number on every label of stores from other parts of the country that were interested wow. in my product. And I just went from there. I would cold call or I would uh, cold call and literally call and say, oh, I'm going to be in town. I'd like to show you my products. And that's how you did it then. Wow. And I ordered yellow pages from all over the country. I had two stacks of yellow pages taller than me. And if you don't know what a yellow pages is. <laughs> I was just going to say that, but I was waiting. <laughs> the yellow pages is like the Google of finding businesses back then. Because you got listed. If your white pages were all the personal phone numbers and the yellow pages were all the business phone numbers. I mean, I think about it now that there were white pages with people's phone numbers. I mean, how intrusive now? Yes. It would not be okay. But you might know something. Thing. That's how I started my business is I would get the legal news. I'd look up mortgages, people that just got a house and they had a mortgage. 
I'd look up their phone numbers all day long. And then mm-hmm. from six to eight at night, when people were home from work, I called everybody. I sent them a letter and then I'd call them and say, I sent you a letter and wondered if you wanted mortgage insurance. That's literally how I started my company. It's amazing. So it's different today because you have the internet, but it's also different because I think businesses answer their phone, but there's no way I could have started my business without any contacts way back when, because nowadays people get a phone call and they're not going to answer it if they don't know who it is. It's the scrappiness. Yeah. Uh, I've always been somebody scrappy um, and um, survivor. Absolutely. I've been a survivor this entire time. I don't know, about eight years ago, it hit me. I need to move from surviving to thriving. Yep. It's a totally different mindset. Oh gosh, that was longer than eight years ago. Time goes by really fast, but a long time ago. And that attitude has changed my everything for me Um, because I don't want to just survive. It is the attitude because it's about, you know, here's the deal. Your parents weren't business owners. They were professionals. If you don't know how to run a business, it's not like suddenly you know how. You're kind of learning by doing. Yep. People don't realize a business owner and you're doing the money, the finances, the marketing, the managing employees, the HR stuff. You're doing everything. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Not everybody knows every aspect of the business. I don't care how smart you are. It's hard to do it all. Mm-hmm. So here you are plugging along at your business. You're making enough money to pay yourself. Impressive enough. But it occurred to you one day, boy, I could be doing more. Yeah. I could be thriving and doing so much better. And I didn't pay myself. Here's the thing that I think a lot of business owners go through is that when times are tough, you don't pay yourself. Right. Gosh, for years, I would take a paycheck like every other week. And then there was two years where I didn't take a paycheck at all. And I would just get enough to like pay a few bills or get groceries. I would peel a little off here and there, but that's too exhausting. It's exhausting because most people go to work and every week or every two weeks or however the pattern is, they get a paycheck by showing up. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't produce something. They still get a paycheck. Most people just get paid for showing up. We're a business owner. We're not paid to show up. We're paid only if we produce or sell something, right? And what happens is you start resenting the people who work for you because you're paying them. You're not paying yourself, right? If you're not paying yourself, I'm paying you, so you better work and you're not working hard enough. And so there's this anger that comes out and I've seen it in different businesses that I've helped they have unrealistic expectations on the people that they're actually paying. I could see that. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay myself when the market has crashed and um, I have very good employees. And when the market did come back and we start making money, I did try to make up for it and give myself a little bit back. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's usually the owner that's taken the dips and curves because we don't want to lose our employees. So we keep paying them. And if you don't come out of it right away, I could see the resentment like, geez, so Pete's, I'm paying them. I'm working this business. I'm working very hard, yet I'm not making any money. And you know, I see a lot of businesses that work hard and they don't make money and they go out of business because they can't figure it out for various reasons. It doesn't really matter why. Have you had situations where you questioned, am I doing the right thing here? (laughs) I mean, most mornings when I wake up, but... (laughs) (laughs) Because I've had my days. I've had my days like, what am I doing here? You know? So there's been three, now four distinct times where uh, my sister Patty is also my business partner. I brought her in to help work with me a couple years in. And then eventually I gave her part to the company as she was like right there with me, sweat equity. And there's times when the two of us would just sit there and say, what are we doing? Are we going to do this? And there's like three distinct times when I was like at that precipice, at like tipping point, I was either going to fail or I was going to work a little bit harder. And businesses go through this all the time. Oh, yeah. It's very common. And so there was one, we were just, Patty and I were just talking about this one specific time when we we're sitting on my couch, drinking gin without any mix. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that had to be, that's the only thing I had in the house, no mix, just some gin. So it was brutal. It's like, oh, that doesn't even taste no, good. No, it wasn't. Wait. But we were both like, so like topped out. Had a bad day. And yeah. um, it was a bad year. We owed money everywhere. People were threatening to come and lock us out of our business, which we didn't know that that was not a possibility. <laughs> to do that, it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of legal stuff. So if somebody says they're, they're just going to come and lock you out of your business, if you don't pay them, you just say, uh-huh. Have your lawyer contact my lawyer. That's it. I mean, because people can't just lock you out of your own business. 
Okay. Um, Good to know. <laughs> the only ones that can are the IRS. They can just show up and padlock your stuff. That's the only one. So everyone else, you don't really have to worry about. Good. You need to pay them back. But even the bank has to go through a lot of legal machinations to put a padlock on your door. The fact that you know that tells me that that was a low point, yeah. that you weren't having a good year. Yeah. Yeah. And so we sat there going, well, what are we going to do? We could close it. We could claim bankruptcy. We could just close the business. And I said, well, what would we do? I really like working with you. And she really likes working with me. What would we do? And I said, well, you know what? We'd do this. We would start something else. And so in that conversation, we realized, well, we would just start something else. We said, well, okay, what if we look at it today as if we're starting a business all over it. We're restarting it today. What would we do different? And so we really, we had a deep conversation of what we would do different. So we're really learning the hard way. And when you have a small business and you're uh, struggling or you're scrapping or whatever it is just to survive, your head is down. You're only looking at what's my next step to pay the next bill. Yeah. Instead of looking up and out saying, how am I going to grow this? And it was at that point, I said, there's got to be a better way of doing this. I'm working 80 hours and I'm doing this. I'm taking, it was, it was nuts. And that's when I said, I, I got to learn how to do this because there's people who, who do this successfully. Why can't I? Right. And so that's when I started searching for information, how to do this. You know, consultants would come in and they would want to have this huge bill that I couldn't afford. Yeah. So I just started looking for books and the first book that helped me change my thinking. So I had to change the thinking before I could take the next step was the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, that's one of my favorite books. I used to give that away to new clients. Yeah. It really helped me change the way I thought. And then the next book was um, E-Myth. I've read that too. For me, those were earlier books on really how to be successful as an entrepreneur. There's other books that have come that are, they're all great. I mean, there's so many that are wonderful. There's tons of books, but the thing is if a book uh, resonates with you. Mm -hmm. I can comment that Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I thought it was so good. I was giving it away to clients. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote my book, I thought I was going to write a similar book, just more modern. But I will say that it turned out much differently than that. But, yeah, you know, he waited till his father passed away to write about the Rich Dad and the Poor Dad. And people that don't know the book, his dad was an administrator in Hawaii and did very well for himself. But the guy never saved a dime. And the rich dad was his best friend's buddy's dad. And this guy owned a business and he was frugal and he saved money. And that's how he became rich because your money makes money for you. But it does make you think about things in a, a different way. Yeah. It really does. And that's interesting you mentioned that book. E-Myth, I'm trying to remember what that was about. It's a beautiful beginner's book on systems. Okay. Building your business as if you were going to franchise it. I remember that because it talks about McDonald's saying, you know, two squirts of ketchup, one squirt of mustard, two. Like people want that same experience no matter where they go. Yeah, you, that consistency. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. You had a big example of a woman who makes pies. That's what I remember about it. This woman nice. who makes pies. And, and it really taught me like, I'm not going to make the pies. I'm not going to make the candles. If I'm making the candles, I can't grow. That's right, because somebody's got to sell and someone's got to make it. So mm -hmm. when you were sitting down with your sister, you're both at a low point. You're like, come on, either we give it up or we do something different because something's got to change here. So you changed some things. And did it come around? Did you do better after yeah, that? It did. It, I stopped waiting. So at that point, I had um, was working with mostly distributors. So we were selling to stores and then these big distributors came on oh. that sold to even more stores. And so they had to have a distributor margin. And so I was selling to all these distributors, but you don't know who their customers are. And so I was beholden to this distributor who kind of became 90% of my revenue. Is that bad or is that good? It's bad. If you have one customer who's 90% of your revenue. You lose that customer and you're out. He was tanking. He was going down and... Again, when I, I was 24 when I started it. So I had this mentality of when you're 24, you have like everything's new and everything's a crisis. Yes. And then you think that everyone's older than you and knows better than you in some ways. And that's not true. But then as you get older, you're like, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. Um, I got to learn. And I think the best thing any entrepreneur can do is taking that lifelong learning attitude. There's always something to learn. And even people listening that are not business owners, 
I'm going to apply the same thing that you just said. I think that's great advice that you just said is if you're in a business and you're working that business and there's somebody ahead of you that has a job that you wish you had, I would go up to them and ask them, how did you get that job? What do you do all day? They could be lifelong learners too to go ahead in their business, even though they're not the owners, right? New perspectives. So lifelong learning gives you new perspectives, new ideas. Oh, yeah. And it keeps you on top of the changes going on in the world, especially if you read, you know, current books that are up and coming, you know. Oh, yeah. we're. I mean, I don't mind that we mentioned old books, but I will say a lot of young people will say, in fact, I was just talking to some young people yesterday and she goes, I got it. I don't need any help. And I said, well, that is going to really hinder you in life. Mm -hmm. I said, you should always kind of keep your eyes open and listen if you think somebody's knowledgeable because you'll never know it all. Never. Never. The older I get, the less I know. It's a, it's a truism that I heard when I was in my 20s. And I'm like, what's that about? <laughs> so you're cruising around, you're doing well, you figured it out. But there's more to the story, I'm sure. Because you said there's four times that you went through this. Yeah. Early on when I got divorced from my first husband, I had to fight to keep the business. And then later on, oh, as, as things started to crash and burn, and I wanted to keep the business. Let's be real. Divorce is very um, expensive for people mm -hmm. because you're suddenly in two households with the same incomes. Yep. And it used to be those two incomes supported one household. So when you split up, it's difficult on both parties that you don't have as much money and it's hard, yep. right? And it was very traumatic and dramatic because of of his mental health. Aww. And I was very grateful of how fast I was able to get out of that and just and I walked away with my business. Oof. Yes, it was a it was a long time ago. And then, you know, so there's times when the market changed drastically. 9/11 hit my market really hard. I mean, everybody because they're not going to buy the extra things like candles. Everyone's afraid. When times are tough. And we're in a similar, I'm watching a similar market shift right now because we're starting to come out of the pandemic and we're, we're starting to find some normalcy, but the normalcy isn't complete yet. Mm -hmm. It took, I was thinking about this the other day, just talking about this. It took from 2002 to 2009 after 9-11. And I started to see some normalcy and I started to, you know, because there, I've been through four recessions now being in business. Right. Because if we've been around and just because I'm a little bit geek with money, I'll tell you that 99, 2000, 2001, those were three years in a row the market was down. Yep. The market went down. I might have the wrong order, but it was like negative nine, negative 22 and negative 11. So the market lost S&P about 45%. And it was total, but three years in a row the market lost. So here you are in 2002 trying to recover and then 2007, 8, 2008 was the second crash. Mm -hmm. There was just a lot of um, bad markets during that time. There was. And that's tough. And you're in a business, and there's a lot of businesses like this, that they're not going to spend the extra money when they don't have it then, right? Right. I, although, because I make spiritual products that bring hope and help ease the mental anguish that people are going through, sometimes there's points in that market where we actually do better because- yeah, because it's not extra. People need it. They want it. Because the standard resolutions don't work. So they're looking for something else. So learning how to capitalize. That's a good point, by the way. I shouldn't discount that. You're probably going to have solid people that are always going to buy. It's just part of their spiritual yeah. journey. Yeah. And then in 2019, I discovered that um, my business manager had been embezzling from me. Lovely. Yeah, she got $150,000 or she got $100,000 and cost me 50 on top of that. Well, I'm going to ask you a rude question and you don't have to share, but people always wonder, how does a business owner miss that? How did you miss it? How are they sneaky, if you will? She was really crafty. So embezzlement is not just financial, it's psychological too. Yeah. So uh, something that I was involved in outside of, I was a president of an organization outside of this. And there was a lot of drama going on with that. So my attention was pulled away, number one. Yep. Number two, what she would do is she would create chaos. Sure. She's a great underground chaos creator, but yet she would always look like the hero. Very, very skilled at that. So very manipulative, it sounds like. Very manipulative, um, chaotic. And so she made it look like one of my other, um, my team who was using my accounting program for manufacturing and things like that, there were, there was a lot of bad entries and it broke, air quotes, broke my QuickBooks. Gotcha. 
my accounting program. She literally has a QuickBooks certification, which is why I hired her. And she goes, well, I'm trying to put it together. So there's all this chaos. Right. And she says, well, I'm working on it. I'm trying to put it together. So none of the books are looking right. Nothing's looking right because all the data is wrong. And in all fairness, you're the owner trying to run the company. So you assign someone to do mm-hmm. their part and you assume they're doing it right. And no offense, but you are. You assume they're doing it right so you can move on and you're making sure the accounting's right, the manufacturing's right, the selling's right. Like there's a lot to keep track of. She would send me snapshots of her banking every day and it would look right. Okay. Until after she sent me that snapshot, then she would do her shenanigans. And make her changes and sneak it in there. And then she was so smart um, that she was able to use different um, like Square and PayPal and these different swipes, create different accounts that made it look like she was like um, an office supply company or this company or that company. Gotcha. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. So she was really good. And and I'm like, where's our, you know, and then we're, we couldn't buy supplies and I my QuickBooks is wrong and I'm trying to sort this out and... I said, you have, you're the expert. And I was working with, I was going to visit customers and I was doing a lot of sales work and marketing work. So I was spinning my, you know, I was on my own treadmill. Right. And it was the only time I let go of my accounting a little bit too far. I'm usually in my accounting every day and my my banking every day, but I let it go. But you figure she had it, right? Yeah. You figure everything's fine. Oh, she would show me how she's saving us money here and saving us money there. And what made you suddenly check it, I wonder. Well, I said, listen, this QuickBooks has been broken for too long. You got one week to figure it out. Otherwise, we're going to hire someone to come in and do some forensics. And she did nothing on it. She did nothing to fix it. Interesting. And I said, I'm going to have to let you go because I got to hire somebody else to do this. Because if you can't do this, since what I've hired you for and I'm paying you decent money, I'm going to have to hire someone else. I've been working with QuickBooks and doing my own books getting an education from a lot of different sources. So I'm not, I'm not new and I've had different consultants that have helped me understand how my books are. And if there's one thing everyone needs to know, whether you have a business or not, understand your finances. Oh yeah. More than money's coming in, going out. Where yeah. you're losing money, where you're gaining money. If you don't have a handle on that, you can't grow. And sign your own bills. Someone else can write them all out for you, but you make sure you review them every single month. Yep. Yep. Um, I do that every week. All the bills that go out because we do most. Uh, we don't use checks anymore, so I, I just right. review everything. I have that. I have some lots of security. Lots of security now, but I got into the books and I started looking at what are all these transactions. I just said I'll just start a fresh database and I'll start downloading the transactions. I'm like, what the hell are these? Interesting. All of these um, PayPal transactions. So I got on the phone with PayPal, which meant that I was literally on hold for four hours. Oh yeah, to talk to a human. Can they tell you like? directly who you paid. Yeah. And so I said, I had all these transactions. They, I think they weren't supposed to, but the person I got on the phone, I said, I don't know what this is because a PayPal transaction from a personal, like if Jackie Smith sent Jill Gleba a PayPal, yeah. it looks one way on your statement. But if I use PayPal to pay a business, it looks a different way on my PayPal, on my state, bank statement. Yeah. So what's going on? So I call PayPal. What's going on? I've got tens of thousands of dollars of these transactions. I said, I just don't know how to book them. Can you help me figure out how they how to book them in my accounting? And then I found out every one of them went to her. That's how she did it. Uh-huh. All this convoluted, mm-hmm. different, uh, to me, literal money laundering. Yeah, absolutely. Layers and layers and layers of complication. Mm-hmm. And it took you hours and hours of phone calls to figure out it was all actually to her. But she probably started all these different accounts. So it looked, like you said, it looked like, you were paying for supplies, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a long time. But here's the amazing thing. Even though she had zeroed out all of my bank accounts, the day she left, I had no money in the bank. We had enough sales and we were doing well enough that it only took me a couple months to get back to like, we have enough money coming in to get back to that place. But with the actions that I took after that business-wise, Patty and I sat down with my business coach at the time, uh, who you know, um, yes, Lisa Menini, who's phenomenal. Yes. Uh, Accelerate Associates. She helped me with my book. So, yes. Yeah. And I called her and I said, oh, my God, this just happened. She rearranged her schedule, showed up the next morning, stayed all day with us and said, okay, you guys know how to do this. What do you got to do? 
And we just did a brain dump of different ideas. And we had like 20 different things that um, ideas to potentially try. And we rated them of what's the fastest. But we generated that replacement $150,000 within four months. So we had our regular business and then we did that additional 150 to recover. Wow. And so she helped us find that within us to go there. Because there's no easy way to get that money back. You'd have to go through court systems. It would just be a big hot mess, right? I did all of that. It took four years. We finally got paid back. But was it expensive as far as time and money to get all that money back? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, And emotionally, it takes you away too, I think. Yeah. Oh, I had taken out loans during the time when she was embezzling from us. So I had all the the loan fees. Um, I had a ton of late fees. So when I calculated it, it cost me an additional $50,000. Oh, geez. And you don't get that back, those fees back. You just got maybe the one fifty back. I got just under $100,000 back from her. And does something happen to someone that does that? Or do they just slap their hand and move on? Um, it depends on the prosecutor. Okay. So um, she cut a deal okay. and I was going to decline that deal and not get the money back just so she would not be able to do this to another person. But then the prosecutor sat down and he said, listen, it's not hard for her to get her record expunged. Is that the word? Yeah, I think it is. And also a lot of people just don't look at that when they're hiring a fiduciary, they're not doing a background In other words, don't waste your time and take your money. That's in your best interest, right? He loved my attitude that I didn't want her to be able to do this to somebody else because I'd already gotten to the place of recovery. But yeah, it was was four years. I I personally, and we don't need to go on about it, but personally, I would feel emotionally, I'd feel so duped. Mm -hmm. And it would bother me emotionally almost more than the money because- Shame. I would feel like, how could someone like face me every day Mm -hmm. and- be my employee. Mm -hmm. And I care about my employees and I bonus them and I go out of my way for them. Yeah. For someone to do that to me would be very hurtful, honestly. I'm not sure I could get over that. And I I don't wish anything bad on her. It just would really bother me. I had a lot of shame, a lot of shame. Initially, like, oh my God, I got to hide this. Look what I allowed to have happen. It's not your fault. When something like that happens and I find that I'm stepping into shame, I immediately flip it. And I start telling people about it Okay. to take the shame out of it. It helps. Does that help? It, it really helps. And that's how it helps me. I'm a, I'm a very extroverted person. I process things externally. So in telling people about it and then people going, oh, my God. But here's a beautiful thing that happened. Every time I told someone about it, they said, you know what? That happened to my uncle. Uh-huh. Or you know what? That happened to me. Or that happened at the business I worked in. And so what I realized is how normal it is. And embezzlement does not happen to big corporations. You see movies where, you know, they figure out a way to embezzle from big. That does not happen. What happens is is small businesses are embezzled from. Far more. Far more. Like 99% of embezzlement cases. No kidding. Didn't know that. It was in the high 90s that embezzlement cases are from small businesses. And they're from people that had been working for you for a long time or you like the person you thought you could always trust. But that's how they do it. They build that up. I do know someone that was embezzled and it was an employee that worked for them for many years, mm-hmm. someone close to them. It was even someone that was belonging, that belonged to their church. And to take this a step uh, further, but broader, that's why we have this podcast, because people have shame around money. They're yeah. embarrassed like, oh, I made some money mistakes, or I don't make as much as everybody thinks I make. Nobody does. And we all go through things. And we just had a couple I was talking to this morning. And the first thing they said when they got on the um, meeting with us is they said, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes. And you could tell, you could feel like they were embarrassed. And I said, hasn't everybody? I said, we all make mistakes. So let's just figure out what we can do to move forward. Absolutely. It's nice of you to share this. And I'm glad that you just talk about it out loud and it's not shameful. It could happen to anybody and it happens to a lot of people. So, wow. So you got past it Mm -hmm. and I actually met you, I think, right during all that. And you were trying your best. I remember not to let it flood your mindset because you needed to move on and run your company. Yep. 
it was something you had to do because you didn't want her to do it again to somebody. But on the other hand, you wanted to move on and just run your company. I think in moments like this, you have an opportunity. Every crisis comes with an opportunity. I mean, this is not just my belief, but this is how I live my life. Yeah. And that opportunity to sit down and remember how creative I am, Uh to remember how creative Patty and I are to come up with these new ideas, it changed everything. It created these sales opportunities that we continued to do. You went through a lot of things. The market crashes, a divorce, Mm -hmm. an embezzlement. And you said there was another one. Well, there's one I'm going through right now. Okay. There's a few more like floating in there, but these are the big ones. So in 19, I got embezzled from, and that was July 1st. I figured that out. So this is 2019. Well, we know what happens in 2020. Yeah. But as we recovered by September, October of 2019, I said to Patty, we have to make more than we've ever made before. We're going to need. So I stopped using my intuition when someone was telling me that they had a better answer in 2019. So I said, I'm back to my intuition. I have to use my intuition. And my intuition is telling me we need a lot of product on the shelves. We need to take all of our profit and reinvest it in product. And when you mean by intuition is you, you know what you need to do. And instead of trusting others, you got to trust what you think is best for your company. Right. Obviously with advice from others, but it's down to you and what you want to do, right? And intuition is a combination of a knowing that goes beyond the facts combined with the facts. So the facts are January is my busiest month of the year. So I usually do more in January than I do in November or October. Really? Interesting. Because we have September, October, November, where people are buying for the holidays for their store. But then you have January where everyone is restocking. Mm-hmm. So January tells you how the year is going to go. And I said, this January is going to be really big based on what we did here and catching up. I have a feeling January is going to be really big. Let's get ready for it. I said, I want three months worth of products on the shelf and three months worth of raw materials in our building. And so we invest in that. And we didn't have room for everything, but we figured it out. We stretched the walls, <laughs> put it in there. And then January sales hit and they were good, but they weren't as good as I thought they were. And I'm like, oh, well, something's going on. I just, we'll just keep a certain level. And then February was okay, but it wasn't great. And then March hit. And during this time, there's this these whispers mm-hmm. of this big flu coming in. But we've heard about it before. We've heard about flus before, so we didn't know what's going on. But because I had so much inventory and so much raw material... I did not have a breakdown in my, I had enough product. So I had one or two people shipping while we were in shutdown because you could have for per square feet, you could have somebody in your building as long as they weren't interacting. Everyone else was gone. We had no production for what, six weeks. And I just had people shipping, but I had enough product. And then I had enough raw materials to get going again. Wow. And I, the supply chain didn't hit me as hard as it was hitting other people, but we had also have these relationships because we kept our inventory up for so long. There's another intuition hit I got had in 2020, which was when we got back to work, I said, Patty, who she does the buying, I said, get on with all of our vendors. I want you to get a year's worth of inventory in because we've got the money right now. Get a year's worth of wicks, get a year's worth of oils, get a year's worth of wax. Was it a good time to buy it also the inventory? I wouldn't know that, but was it a good time? Well, there was the supply chain issues and then everyone was home. Um, There were so many people at home making candles that my Wick supplier would not take new clients on. Interesting. And then all the people that wanted bottles for that hand sanitizer. So the bottle company for oils and sprays um, would not take any new customers on. And so because we had such a great relationship with, say, our Wick supplier, and we said, here's our year's worth of orders I'm willing to give you the money now. And they said, no, but because of your level of business with us, you are on our top 10%. We ship you before we ship anybody else. Okay. Did you have supply issues then or no? We had some, like it just took them a long time because, you know, one person gets COVID in your place and you had to shut down Mm -hmm. or, you know, that it was just crazy during those times. I get that because you're right. You, You have to shut down if someone gets sick. Yep. Yep. So also during that time, um, I I was in a 5,000 square foot building and I knew that I couldn't bring people back to work 
in that small of a building. We were all too close. We couldn't be six feet apart, let alone 10, which is what they recommended at the time. I had come across a building in 2020, right around the corner, double the size, and I knew we were going to need it because our sales were booming. We increased 85% in 2021 over 2020. Which is cool. But scary, not sustainable. And so I thought, okay, let me get in um, a production expert, lean manufacturing expert. Let's get in a marketing expert so we can sustain this because this is false. Yeah, people don't realize you don't know, is this here to stay? Do we need to adjust? You don't want to hire all the people and then it doesn't happen. There's a lot of adjusting. So I took the money that, um, so we got the SBA loan, the emergency loan. So I took that to keep us rolling. And then as profits were rolling in, I took that money to pay for these new people because it wasn't quite in the budget yet. But I thought, okay, if we invest in this, but then, you know, I knew this was not sustainable. This was a, this was a boom. How do we keep that boom going? The economy had an entirely different idea for us. So now here we are in this bigger building that costs a lot more money. We have these pros, I call them the ringers, that we're paying a lot of money for. Costs are way up. Yep. And we went through our reserves like that. So here I am gone through the reserves. And so I'm thinking that, okay, it's going down. Okay, we're doing making these changes to level out, but it's still going. So we're making these changes level up because everything is changing. Brick and mortar is changing. Retail is changing. The entire face of everything is changing. And as I talk to experts in the field, in the retail field, other experts, and and no one knows how to do it. No, everyone's being taken this by This is all brand new. It's all brand new. So now we've downsized a lot. We're still in the building. We're subletting some of our space, but we had to sit down and get really creative. I let all the people that I hired when we were booming go because they were not able to keep us up there. Yep. And I didn't need them anymore. It just re- finding the right people that have new ideas and the right balance of sales. Find a marketer who understands the new AI world, the new social media world. Social media has changed in the last two years. Social media is completely different and how it interacts. I agree. Google ads. I mean, everything in marketing is different. It's a whole different world. So really being cognizant of that and being willing to make the changes and and take the risks. I am not risk averse. My sister is risk averse. (laughs) So we have to find the balance between the two of us. Like, let's go, let's do it. But so this is a big challenge. It's the same. um, It's a new level, new devil. So the percentages are the same, but the money is a lot bigger. It is. And sometimes people make, uh, we talked about this, companies are making a lot of money, but they're not keeping it. Yep. That's the other thing. Everybody thinks, oh, you're a business owner, you have a ton of money. Nope. A lot of business owners aren't keeping what or paying themselves right. And right. Um, I know that I can say this without you even expanding on it, but you're probably not paying yourself enough, right? Oh, no, I haven't given myself a raise since 2019. People don't realize that, that the owner is the one that takes the hit. And Mm -hmm. do you feel positive about what's in your future? Absolutely. Because just this week or just last week, we started the process of, remember that process from when we were being embezzled from. And we brought everyone together and we did some brainstorming and we said, all right, what can we do? Yeah. We need to increase our revenue. We need to increase it right now. So what are we doing? And, and so I take everybody through this exercise, and this is not the first time I've taken my leadership team through this. And so they're getting used to doing it. You're a very involved owner too. And what's interesting to me is your style, is your, the reason people will stay working for you. I think the reason I keep employees is because we're all in it together type of thing. And it's funny because you weren't taught any of this. Were you taught anything about money or investing? I, everybody I talk to says no. And I, I think I know your answer, but did anyone teach you about that either? No, I wish I had the forethought, you know, to do some investing. But, you know, I, here I have a small business. Um, I'm a mom. There that? My parents are ailing. Jeez. My husband's, his career is growing. He's in the IT world, but he's not taking on these big IT jobs. So he has availability to help me. Nice. But I mean, he could have taken the hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar job if he wanted to travel. But he said, "No, we wouldn't survive." Do you want to do that as a parent, and do you want to do that as you own a business? Mm-hmm. And you know, I have to say that there's some give and take as a couple. One of us has to be available for the kids. Yep. And it's interesting. I have a whole theory around that. The younger generation they have a different thought process, but 
I'm in a group with entrepreneurs in different masterminds with them. And in this one group training I was in, so there's 15 of us and there are only two women. And this one gentleman came in and he goes, hey, my wife just had her baby a couple of days ago. And I said, wait a minute, your wife's at home with a newborn. It's your child too. And you're here at this eight hour training. What are you doing here? Why shouldn't your wife, you know, goes, I got a business to run. Yeah. And I go, I find that interesting because I got a business to run. But when my husband worked for one of the big three and our daughter was sick, the statement was, I have to stay home. Jackie has to stay home because I can make my own hours, which by the way is all of them. But I'm not going to get dinged for not going to work where he's going to get dinged. Right. I get that. Any male entrepreneur is going to say, well, my wife's got to stay home because I got to work to make this money to grow this business. I just find that very interesting that when I interview different women entrepreneurs, this is the, the continual statement. But I have found that the younger generation now, yes, I admire because the men are much more involved than our generation. In fact, I can off the top of my head know several families that the wife decided she was getting paid more, had the better benefits. She went to work and the husband says, well, I'll go part time mm-hmm. or I'll be the secondary job and I'll take all the hits and be home for the children. I love this. They don't they don't care who, they just decide as as a couple which one of us is gonna, you know, take the hits and raise our kids. And and I say it sounds so negative and I say take the hits, but it, in other words, they have a commitment to their children that they're gonna do whatever they have to do. It's equal to make it all right, which is very cool. It's very much more involved. I will say that I grew up with um my first firm I was at had sixty five associates. Two were women, and the men back then, this is in the 80s, thought I was taking their job. I said, we're commissioned, so I didn't take anyone's job. We all just create our own money. Right. But very antagonistic, very threatened by having a woman, and I was performing well, and they didn't like that either, and um, it was very hostile, and my husband was very um, creative. He said, you know, just have a sense of humor with the guys, and I did. But it was a different atmosphere than it is now, I'm happy to say. Things have changed. It's wonderful. It's everybody's responsibility for a family. It's not just one. And I want to thank you for paving that way. Well, you really did pave the way to create this paradigm shift. And so thank you for that. Many women did, though. Yeah, many women did. Yep. It was different. People don't realize it was very yep. different back then. You know, they'd be like, what are you doing here? And I said, working just like you, you know. And- they were very sexist and it's some of my stories are too inappropriate. So I won't, <laughs> but, but I'm going to say that the, that many times they're very inappropriate and I'd give it right back and yeah. then they'd stop. I love you it. You know, I did it with a sense of humor though. And that helps too. It does. It's interesting because a lot of my guests are business owners, but you're probably unique that you were sharing the ups and downs of being an owner. And how it is hard to make enough money, try to keep your employees. You know, we're not all just rolling in the dough and letting everybody else do the work. And that's the view. Let's face it. Disney does a movie and the rich person is always an old white guy with his hands curling around like, I'm going to make a bunch of money and abuse my workers. And that's not really the case. The average small business owner has a relationship with their employees and they care about them. And it is a group effort to do a good job. It's tough. And there's an emotional hit that an entrepreneur with employees takes. That's the responsibility. Um, some of them take it deeply. I'm like me, I have. I feel very deeply about my responsibility. So it's not just the financial hit. It's not just the stress hit, but there's, there's this emotional and spiritual hit that I watch entrepreneurs um, struggle with. And that's part of my growth is that emotional growth as well. So that... I can navigate these things and, and not be a, a, a ripe hole when I go to work. That's right. You know, taking it out on everybody else. It's tough because I had one, someone said to me, they were joking, but they said, hey, this is a long time ago. And they go, what's it like to be the big shot owner of a business? And I said, I don't know. I emptied the trash cans yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I think other people might have those views, but every entrepreneur I talk to, we're all just trying to do our best, yep. right? Yeah. And we want to be the part of the team. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to be part of the team versus 
the owner, you know, just the coach. I want to be there with you because that's the fun for me. It is the fun and it's wrapping your head around all the things you need to know. And that's why you and I have to, I think a good motto on this is you want to keep learning. You're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's the best way to do things, treat your employees, make a profit and serve your customers Mm -hmm. that care about spirituality and your product helps them with that. Yep. It's very important, right? That is it. And when things are really rough, I go back to the basics. Right now, I just finished some basic business books to remind myself to, okay, when your foundation is crumbling, you go back to the foundation. That's right. So I'm, I'm back to the basics. And I learn something new every time I have a beginner's mindset. Same here. I agree. Yeah. So is there anything you want to add that we might have missed today that we did not talk about? You know, there's so much that I could talk about, but I think that this was a great conversation. It went a little bit different than what we thought we were going to talk about, but boy, this was really, this was good. It never does, by the way. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> and tell everybody if you want to share your website and how people can get hold of your product. I think that would be a good idea. Thank you so much. My website is CoventryCreations.com. You can find us on Amazon as well. And we're going to list it on this uh, show. So don't worry, they'll have that. So I don't have to spell it out. But our main product line, which is still my bestseller after 32 years, are my blessed herbal candles. And they're all based on the intention or the affirmation that you need in your life right now to help boost that energy, to help get you to the other side of the crisis. When you get to the other side, when you can jump over and get to the other side and have that backwards view, you know how to fix it. And that's kind of what the energy of the products do is they help you get into that next state for yourself. Which is nice because the unknown is where people stress. And once they get over it and they learn that they could get through it, that's helpful, right? Absolutely. So thank you. I appreciate that you were so candid and you shared your story. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for having me on, Jill. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.